Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, February 12th, 2024, the 1118th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands, and if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms, and of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So on Friday's show, I focused the entire episode on my reactions to Tucker Carlson's interview of Vladimir Putin that came out on Thursday of last week. And Thursday was a very big news day with the release of special counsel Robert Hur's report on his investigation into the fake president's handling of classified documents. And then Joe Biden's attempt at a cleanup operation focused on refuting the special counsel's assessment that he was not mentally competent enough to stand trial 
or be found guilty by a jury, and therefore he could not bring charges based on the fake president's mishandling of classified documents. Joe Biden had to go out there and show everybody he's got this thing under control. He's as sharp as he ever was, and that's probably true. And the special counsel was just wrong. Joe Biden had not mishandled any documents. And if he wasn't all there mentally, how could he have gotten so much done? He actually made that case. And all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, Joe Biden went from the most protected man of all time to someone the media was finally targeting with not even difficult questions, just questions not specifically designed to make Joe Biden look good as basically all their questions were prior. Now, I'm not saying he's never had a difficult question. I'm just saying that if all the questions are scripted and all the answers are scripted as we know them to be, he goes up to the podium with a book that tells him who to call on, what their question's going to be, and what his answer should be. I'm not sure there has been any real journalism done in the White House press corps in the last three plus years. And hey, maybe for a long time before that. But it was blatant in this press conference. Joe Biden got very, very upset at the tone of the questions and tried to meander his way off stage right. And a reporter shouting a question kind of caught his ear. He went back to the podium and stalled while flipping through his book to find out where the answer to that pre-planned question was and then proceeded to read the answer. Now, if you know the quote unquote president is demented and under someone else's control, is it better for the whole thing to be scripted? I don't know. But all of a sudden, in one evening, the media's approach to Joe Biden did a 180. All of a sudden, it was acceptable for the mainstream media and thus their entire audience of standard issue villagers to realize what has been obvious now for at least the last four years, and hey, again, maybe much longer. Joe Biden didn't just become obviously mentally incapacitated. And is it all an act? Hey, I'll give it to you. Maybe it's all an act. There are some people out there who think that. They think it in good faith. And while it might strike you as outlandish and conspiratorial, hey, I never thought we would see so many people walking around in cloth masks and demanding other people do the same, even though everyone knows they don't work to stop a disease no one could even prove existed. So if you're not prepared to believe some things that sound outlandish, don't know what to tell you. But let's see how our betters are saying we should be reacting to the new problems with Joe Biden's age that we didn't know about before, but are now just so glaringly obvious. The Wall Street Journal's editorial board wrote this on Friday, a tipping point on Biden's decline. Will Democrats continue to ignore the growing risks of the president's mental frailties? Are the risks growing? How are the risks growing? Maybe they'll tell us. Democrats have been reassuring themselves that President Biden's cognitive decline is no obstacle to his reelection, but perhaps this week will be a tipping point. Special counsel Robert Hur's report about the president's failure to recall basic facts of his life and Mr. Biden's multiplying public lapses are ample reason for urging him to withdraw from the 2024 race. Well, that's very bold. Wall Street Journal, congratulations. 
Way to take a stand after only 37 months of this person pretending to be president. Prior to this, you were more than happy to use Joe Biden to advance your agenda in any way you could, pretending the entire time that he really did win an election and really was a legitimate president. But now, because a lawyer wrote down on a paper that Joe Biden's not all there, well, now we have to get rid of him. We have to figure out a way to get rid of Joe Biden because it's just not responsible for us to have an incompetent president at the switch after 37 months. And sure, the special counsel also said he mishandled classified documents from when he was vice president a long time ago. But the mental incompetence that we have just found out about, that is the key issue here. Mr. Hur's account of his five-hour interview with Mr. Biden opened a rare window on the president in private. His account exposed what many Americans have suspected based on Mr. Biden's many public misstatements and faltering physical presence. He couldn't recall which years he was vice president or even when his son Bo died. He said an ally in the Obama administration's debate over Afghanistan was on the opposite side. So an old man making old man memory mistakes. Then again, he's been lying about and exploiting his son's death for years. Why didn't any of that matter? It only matters once it's in a special counsel's report, because what we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears and know with our brains is nothing compared to what some official writes down in an official document. Hey, everybody, it's okay to tell the truth now that it's been documented officially by our illegitimate government. Now we're allowed to talk about it. Democrats are raging against Mr. Herr, but they should be grateful. Mr. Biden's mental frailty is one reason Mr. Herr offered for not presenting the president's document mishandling as a criminal offense before a jury. His report is also forcing Democrats to confront the political reality that Mr. Biden's decline could reelect Donald Trump. You see that now they have to deal with the real possibility that Joe Biden could lose to Donald Trump. You see, before last weekend, that was just a pipe dream for Donald Trump. But now it's a real possibility, which means you can't keep Biden in there because now Biden might lose. This is the sort of thing that could only be presented as a consistent belief for someone who pretends that Joe Biden actually won in 2020. Donald Trump is growing in popularity rapidly and massively among basically all demographics. He is more popular now than he has ever been. Joe Biden is less popular now than he has ever been. And Trump already wiped the floor with him in 2020. You want a permanent MAGA majority let the country know our elections are stolen and get the elections fixed. Virtually no one is talking about that, except for, of course, Mike Lindell and the people who always talk about it. I'm not suggesting we take anything for granted. I'm just suggesting that any time political analysis incorporates obvious falsehoods that way and the analysis is affected directly by that misunderstanding, we should discard the analysis and... Stop listening to the analyst. But we aren't here trying to understand how to feel about this from the regime's perspective. We're just here to understand the regime's perspective so we can know what they want us to believe because they will give us all sorts of hints 
about their strategy in the future and the things they want to cover up. Mr. Biden compounded the damage with his performance in a rare 13-minute press appearance at the White House on Thursday night. He was angry and snappish. Worse, he confused Egypt's president with Mexico's in relation to Gaza, of all places. He also created a problem for Egypt's president, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, by saying he had to be persuaded to allow humanitarian aid into Gaza. So he messed up. He said al-Sisi was the president of Mexico, not Egypt. And this immediately became a big deal because he made this enormous mistake in the context of people saying that maybe he wasn't mentally all there. Now, I'm clearly not defending Biden when I say all he did was mix up a couple of words that happens to normal people. It also happens to every politician at some point. All of this is immediately and intentionally being overblown by the media. They are saying to everyone, look at this. Did anyone see this ever before? Joe Biden's not all there mentally. Can you believe it? And somehow, for whatever reason, people are not insulted by this approach. It's just another one of those moments where we get to hear how important it is that stuff like this is finally going to wake up the normies. This followed Mr. Biden's confusion in recent days over the names of German chancellors and French presidents he had spoken to. These episodes are more frequent, and they are typical of someone with a failing short-term memory. Episodes and names from the past fill the void of recent events he can't recall. Again, this is nothing new. Are they more frequent? Really? I don't think they are more frequent. The media just cares now. Such decline is part of the human condition, and it's not Mr. Biden's fault. But what is his fault is telling the American people that he can capably serve another four years as president. Well, Wall Street Journal, you've been doing that, and you've been covering for all of this for the last three plus years, and at the same time, ignoring his illegitimacy, the number one most obvious factor that could get a corrupt, compromised, mentally incapacitated, criminal fake president removed. The illegitimacy, not the current incompetence, but the illegitimacy, something the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal has ignored for years, as has the editorial board of every other mainstream news outlets, and even many pretending to be independent. Why aren't the leading figures in independent, quote unquote, conservative media focused on Joe Biden's illegitimacy and the illegitimacy of virtually the rest of our public officials across this country. Sorry, but the problem is unavoidable. We are being convinced to interact with these social issues and with our politics at a very superficial level so that we can avoid all the real stuff where the real problems are and, by the way, where the real solutions are. The fault also lies with those in the White House covering for him. He rarely gives one-on-one -on -one media interviews. He declined the typically softball affair of the traditional pre-Super Bowl interview. The White House staff doesn't trust him to make a sustained public case on critical issues such as aid to Ukraine or Israel. Mr. Biden's public appearances are typically scripted. And when they aren't, Mr. Biden tends to confuse a Mitterrand with a Macron or a Cole with a Merkel. Once again, they are presenting all of this as if it's new. He campaigned from his basement and did interviews via Zoom 
where he was clearly reading the answers off the screen. Since he has been fake president, every sort of press conference he has ever given includes him walking up with a list of the questions to be asked, the reporters to call on, and the answers to give to their pre-screened questions. The mainstream media pitches the idea that they are objective journalists who believe it is their job to speak truth to power and hold power accountable. And the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal, who has ignored Joe Biden's incompetence, total unfitness and illegitimacy for over three years, now wants you to know that it is the fault of the people in the White House who've been covering for him. It's not their fault for covering for Biden as he implements the global regime's agenda, which the Wall Street Journal and everyone associated with the outlet seems to support. It's the people in the illegitimate White House who have kept all of this a secret from us the whole time. The voters can see this, which is why even most Democrats tell pollsters they doubt Mr. Biden is up to another term. A majority of Americans in the latest Harvard Caps Harris poll say a vote for Mr. Biden this year is really a vote for President Kamala Harris because Mr. Biden won't make it through another four years. Oh, so the voters do know it. And it's just the news media that's found out now because of Robert Hur's report. Oh, they're only allowed to tell us that now because the claims have appeared in official documents. That's what it means to be objective. Lie until the government writes something down in official documents and then they can tell us. This is dangerous politically for Democrats, but it's also a grave risk for the country. The world is as dangerous as it's been since the 1930s with U.S. adversaries on the march. This would be challenging for a young, vigorous leader. It's perilous for a president who will be 82 years old before a second inauguration and who is already showing visible signs of failing memory and lapsed concentration. It's good for them to notice. Finally, after 37 months, we're being told the world is more dangerous right now than it was right after 9-11? I mean, I guess, whoops, right? How did that happen? I was told it was dangerous under Donald Trump, but I, I guess not because they just ignored that completely. Why are they going all the way back to the 1930s? It's like they're just running a replay of World War II this whole time or something. And how did the world get so dangerous if it wasn't that dangerous under Donald Trump? Would it be because of the fake president, Joe Biden, that the world is so dangerous. And if that's what happened, why did the Wall Street Journal defend his legitimacy and his fitness for the office for the first 37 months of his fake presidency only to turn on him now? Gosh, it's so hard to understand. It's like there must be something else going on. The ritual Democrat response to date has been that there is no alternative. Mr. Biden wants to run again. His wife, Jill, also wants him to run and no one can stop him. But that's only true if no one tries. So far, only Representative Dean Phillips has dared to speak the truth. But the politics would change if others began to say in public what they say in private. And again, in order to take the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal seriously here, you have to ignore the fact that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has been, quote unquote, running for president for a year now. It's a matter of time before he begins doing better in the polls than Joe Biden. And the Democrat Party basically told him to kick rocks. They made it impossible for him to be involved in a Democrat primary process because, of course, 
the whole thing is rigged in the first place. But they already had a guy and ignored it. And the Wall Street Journal ignores it right here, of course, because avoiding RFK Jr. is essential if you want to replace Joe Biden. A Biden renomination isn't assured until a formal vote at the Democrat convention in Chicago in August. And so there it is. It doesn't matter what happens throughout the primary process. A Biden renomination isn't assured until the formal vote at the Democrat convention. There's not enough time for other candidates to get on enough primary ballots. But if Mr. Biden were to announce his retirement after a single term and free his delegates to vote their conscience, there would be a wide open race for the nomination. So you see that? That's all it takes. We keep hearing people talking about how other candidates are not going to be able to get on the ballot in time. Doesn't matter. The Democrat Party is going to get on the ballot and then they put their candidate in that position. They decide their candidate at their convention. The primary voting doesn't matter at all. That's only for them to convince you that the people in the Democrat Party actually chose the nominee and not just the party members at the convention. Otherwise, they would lose the argument that they were the party supporting democracy. And you can't have that. Ms. Harris would run, but she wouldn't have a free path. Expect others, such as California Governor Gavin Newsom and Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, to get in. They would compete not in a national primary campaign, but for the votes of 3,934 convention delegates. Oh, democracy. The left would try to nominate one of its own, but most Democrat delegates understand power well enough to want to win. It's possible they could rally behind a rising Democrat star like Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro. Josh Shapiro was the attorney general in Pennsylvania during their stolen 2020 election, and his ascendancy to the presidency is something that has been discussed here and there over the course of years now. It's like he made a deal to become president in return for helping rig Pennsylvania's elections? Or should we pretend that that sort of thing doesn't happen? What about Josh Shapiro makes him a rising Democrat star? He's not in the national picture at all. The Wall Street Journal is generating this. They are saying to their audience of standard issue uniparty right villagers, Pennsylvania Democrat Governor Josh Shapiro is a rising star in the Democrat Party. This is like a revelation. It's like the Wall Street Journal is announcing their own endorsement. Back to the article. The attention of the world would be on the Democrat race with genuine political excitement. Republicans would have a far more difficult challenge than beating an old man with a 40% approval rating. Now, Joe Biden will not have a 40% approval rating in August. That is preposterous to pretend that Joe Biden's approval rating seven months from now is going to be the same as it is now. Regardless, they are pitching the idea here that Joe Biden should be replaced at the convention. Forget about the primaries. Democrat voters don't need to decide who the candidate is. And why would you want them to come out and vote? This way, you can assume that they all just default to Joe Biden because that's what it has to be. And then at the convention, you just replace Joe Biden with whoever seems to be the most popular Democrat figure at the time. Is it Gavin? Is it Gretchen? Is it Big Mike? 
Is it Hillary Clinton? They can choose whoever they want. They can even choose Josh Shapiro. They are telling you they're going to have a big television show. It's going to be like American Idol, except rather than singing karaoke, they're just going to see which of these interchangeable pieces could actually convince 20 or 30% of the American public that there is some outside chance that Donald Trump could actually lose to one of these figures. The Wall Street Journal editorial board is giving political advice to the Democrat establishment right now. Here's how they end. Easing out an incumbent president carries risks, but hardly more than pretending that voters will ignore what they can plainly see. The main question is whether Democrats who can make a difference will continue to ignore reality, fingers crossed, and pray that Mr. Biden doesn't have an even larger pratfall in the next nine months. So will the Democrats remove Joe Biden? That is the question that's on everyone's mind now. And they continue to talk about impeachment. Maybe they can get rid of Joe Biden through impeachment. Maybe the Republican establishment will do the dirty work impeaching a fake president. Would it work? Would the Democrat establishment, the uniparty left, go along with the uniparty right to remove Joe Biden so that they can insert someone else in his place without even having to do the whole convention fight? Well, it's an option, a very bad option, of course, from a reality perspective. An illegitimate Congress has no business impeaching an illegitimate president. They should all just simply be removed because they're not sitting in office legitimately in the first place. Now, of course, we know how these media cycles work. And I'm not trying to assert that there is nothing positive to be gained from this media cycle happening. The authoritative sources give their permission to the standard issue villagers to incorporate a new truth in their thinking. That truth being that Joe Biden really is demented and incompetent. And he really did do this bad thing. He really did mishandle classified documents. And it wasn't from his time as quote unquote president. It was his time from when he was vice president and from when he was senator. He wasn't allowed to have the documents. He wasn't allowed to handle them in the first place. He wasn't allowed to move them. But none of that matters now to standard issue villagers because they tell themselves and each other and their media intake backs it up. They decide because there were no charges that whatever Joe Biden did, it must not be that bad. They're not going to go in and read the her report. They're going to focus on the fact that no charges were brought. And when someone says to them, it says in the report that the reason charges weren't brought was because Biden wasn't mentally fit to stand trial or be convicted by a jury. They will respond that if Joe Biden had really done something so bad, the prosecutor would have gone ahead and charged him and tried him anyway. So therefore, whatever he did can't be that bad. And you might think, well, that's insane. Why would they do that? The answer is because otherwise they have to deal with the fact that justice is not meted out fairly in our country and that powerful political criminals do not have to abide by the laws everyone else has to abide by, including their own political opponents. What they need to protect is the good of the system because they rely on that system to be good in opposition to Donald Trump. If the system itself is bad, then they might be wrong about Trump being bad and they can't go down that road. So the system has to be functioning perfectly. 
If it's not functioning perfectly, they might be going after Donald Trump for things he didn't do just to keep him from being president again. And maybe this incompetent puppet who they voted for a few years ago is actually a bad guy. I mean, if he was mishandling classified documents and trying to make money off them or maybe transmitting them to our foreign adversaries, that would make them look really bad. So it's better to focus on the fact that Joe Biden is just an old guy. That's why they're not trying him. And he didn't do anything all that bad, because if he did, they would have ignored Joe Biden being an old guy and tried him anyway. And then if that fails to convince anyone, they will just revert to what they've been saying since the entire Biden document saga began, which is that Joe can't be guilty because he was trying to return the classified documents as soon as he found them, whereas Donald Trump was trying to make sure that no one could ever have his classified documents ever again, even though they asked nicely. You can imagine they will also continue to pursue the argument they've been making quite a lot and the Ron DeSantis supporters were making as well that both Joe Biden and Donald Trump are very old. And because Joe Biden is mentally deteriorating, that means that neither of them should be president. Trump is always just as bad or worse, no matter what, when it comes to absolutely anything. So while the regime has switched from propping up Joe Biden to now taking down Joe Biden, hoping to replace Joe Biden, they are still going after Donald Trump for absolutely everything in whatever way they can. And Senator from Ohio, J.D. Vance, has an article out today in The American Conservative. He has written a letter to his Republican colleagues. He's gone on War Room. He's making a big push today to let everyone know about something that was tucked into this funding bill for the fake foreign proxy wars. He believes he has found a predicate for the impeachment of Donald Trump if Donald Trump actually sticks to his campaign promises. So let's check in with the American conservative. The headline is the Republican plot against Donald Trump. This weekend, Senate Democrats joined by a few Republicans, including most Republican leadership forced through a security supplemental that spends close to $100 billion, most of it on Ukraine. It was the culmination of months of secretive negotiations on border security. Those negotiations produced a border security product unacceptable to most Republicans. So then Republicans voted it down. And then an hour later, we were debating a security supplemental with border security stripped out. The quick pivot refusal to negotiate another round on border security and immediate shift to blame Trump confirmed one thing. Republican leadership wasn't serious about border security. They cared most about Ukraine funding and saw the border negotiations as a distraction. This extinguished any real hope of real border security before the negotiation began. The story our leadership tells is that the politics of border security had changed because of Donald Trump. James Lankford dutifully negotiated a bipartisan border product. And J.D. Vance really needs to learn the word unipartisan so that he can stop pretending that bipartisan is a good thing. Conservative Republicans encouraged this negotiation. When the product took shape, Donald Trump demanded conservatives walk. Trump argued that Joe Biden didn't need a border security package, which was true. 
So Republicans should simply ask that Joe Biden do his job. This intervention allegedly killed a great piece of border policy. This is a fairy tale that makes conservative senators and Donald Trump look bad, perhaps by design. In truth, the demands conservative senators made at the beginning of the negotiation went like this. Joe Biden can fix this problem, but he refuses, so we must make him do his job. This posture came along specific demands from senators ranging from Ukraine aid supporters like Marco Rubio to Ukraine aid skeptics like me, this is J.D. Vance again, and those in the middle like Ron Johnson. We argued that we could condition further Ukraine aid on decreased illegal border crossings. In other words, Congress would appropriate money to Ukraine in stages. If Biden refused to drive down border crossings, he wouldn't get his money for Ukraine. The deal, as envisioned by conservatives, was apparently never on the table. According to both Democratic colleagues and some Republicans, this is because Republican leadership, specifically Mitch McConnell, refused to push Democrats on this issue. Other Republicans have argued instead that even if Mitch McConnell empowered Lankford to make this demand, Democrats would have never agreed. Obviously, this latter view reflects more favorably on McConnell, but only by a little because it suggests a massive asymmetry in negotiating leverage. If Democrats are desperate for Ukraine aid and Republicans, at least the negotiating Republicans, are also desperate for Ukraine aid, border security would inevitably land on the chopping block. And this is what we've been discussing on this podcast for months. This is what the unipartisan compromise is all about. The uniparty wants the Ukraine aid. The uniparty left wants it. The uniparty right wants it. Because the uniparty right knows that the Republican base doesn't want Ukraine aid. They needed a cover story. They needed an offering, something they could give the base voters and America first, MAGA, however you want to describe it. They needed something to give them in order to make sure that the Ukraine aid went through. And so what they offered was what they called border security. Not an acceptable border security package that actually shut down the borders. Nothing to force Joe Biden to do his job and shut down the borders rather than facilitating the global slave trade. But a package designed to ultimately increase the surveillance state and supply more resources to make the entry of quote unquote asylum seekers, also known as just illegal aliens crossing the border, more effective and efficient. So the unipartisan compromise on Ukraine aid wasn't going to be enough to sell this to Republican base voters. So they included a fake border security package in order to pull one over on them. And these are their own voters, by the way. This is, again, proof that they know they cannot be held accountable through elections. They knew their base wouldn't go along with something terrible that the uniparty right wanted but none of the base wanted. And so the uniparty rights response was to figure out a way to trick the base. They ratcheted the hype and the tension and the chaos up around the border issue as much as they possibly could and still didn't get the border part done because everyone continued to say no. So now they've just dropped the border part. They don't have the cover story anymore. 
They're not even trying to convince the base of anything. They're just going to include their Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, etc. package in with the spending bills that have to be negotiated in two weeks to avoid the government shutdown. They want a new omnibus package. They intend to get everything they want, and then they intend to tell Republican base voters that, hey, they tried. The border deal would have gotten done if not for Donald Trump, but Donald Trump said no. So now there's no help with the border. We're only going to pay for these fake foreign proxy wars. Back to J.D. Vance. Did Trump oppose a deal? He certainly opposed the deal that was on the table. It would have done little to secure the border in the future, would have been a massive political gift to the Democrats, and would constrain Trump's border enforcement if he was ever elected president. This last point deserves extra emphasis. These bipartisan deals always seem to contain provisions that would put the next president, whoever that is, in a box. Given its substance, it is hardly surprising that he opposed the deal. But most Republicans opposed the deal well before he weighed in, publicly or privately. In fact, the only conversation I had with Donald Trump about the border deal was a day after the text came out well after I had opposed the bill's headline provisions. Why do you guys want to give these people such a gift? It's stupid. And that sentence is in quotes. That's the message he received from President Trump. Why do you guys want to give these people such a gift? It's stupid. Vance says it was an accurate point, but it didn't change anyone's mind because most of us already agreed with the former president. So the deal fell apart. And the way it fell apart was the height of political malpractice. The text, 370 pages of it, dropped late Sunday, February 4th. We had a Republican conference meeting on Monday, well before anyone had time to digest major provisions. McConnell left the meeting and praised the bill, but criticized the changing political dynamics. He blamed Donald Trump. He blamed the House of Representatives. It's hard to imagine a more damaging political message. Hey, everyone, we've got great bipartisan policy, but we're going to kill it because the knuckle draggers don't like it. It was a gift to Democrats and everyone knew it. Senate candidates across the country, many of whom are allies of Mitch McConnell, called me to complain bitterly of the predicament created by leadership in Washington. Normally, spending bills go through months of review, committee markups and hours of debate. The text of the Ukraine supplemental was distributed to Hill staff on Wednesday, February 7th, and the first procedural vote was taken less than a day later. On February 5th, many senators had emphasized the importance of doing something on the border before action was taken on Ukraine. Two days later, at least some of them had decided that fighting for border security for an hour had checked the box and that they were ready to move on to their real priority funding for Ukraine. The bill will pass, albeit by a tiny margin, with a majority of Republicans opposing the bait and switch. And let's go over that second to last sentence once again. Two days later, at least some of them had decided that fighting for border security for an hour had checked the box and they were ready to move on to their real priority funding for Ukraine. Who is controlling these people? It's clearly not their constituents. It's clearly not the Republican base. Why are they so obsessed with a proxy war that has been a spectacular failure by every possible regime metric except its effectiveness 
in convincing the American people to tolerate the extension of their indentured servitude on the basis that we must, quote unquote, protect Ukraine's, quote unquote, sovereign borders. Now, he spends a few more paragraphs discussing the process of all this. I'm going to skip down closer to the end. Democrats could force House leadership to bring up Ukraine aid with a discharge petition, an approach that would hand control of the House floor over to minority leader Hakeem Jeffries with the aid of a few House Republicans. Speaker Johnson could fight this maneuver aggressively. If he does, he will be attacked by Senate Republican leaders, at least privately, and will face another negative news cycle. If he doesn't, his own conference will turn against him. The cycle will replay over the government funding deadline in March. It will replay over the omnibus debate to follow. It will replay any time the U.S. Congress must actually do something. So he's saying that the uniparty in the Senate is going to push this thing through no matter what. And there is a means by which House Democrats can actually bring this to the floor as long as they get the help of some uniparty right Republicans in the House. The uniparty is going to get its way no matter what. Vance says, whatever shape this takes, the basic game will be the same. The media obsessed with any story that makes Trump look bad will blame him and MAGA Republicans in the House. They will blame Trump for the chaos. They will blame Trump for quote unquote extremism. They will refuse to report on Biden's failings and instead focus on internal Republican division. They will point to Republican senators attacking Donald Trump and House Republicans, just as they have over the last week. Democrats will run advertisements, quote, see, even Mitch McConnell thinks Trump is being ridiculous, end quote. And you can absolutely imagine that being all over television as we get toward the end of the summer and into the fall. Uniparty right Republicans actually working with Democrats right out in the open to hurt Donald Trump's chances of quote unquote winning the election, which is really just a matter of manipulating the believability for anyone other than Trump to win. Vance writes, this is how you save Joe Biden's presidency by taking the chaos of Joe Biden's tenure and making it about Republican chaos being even worse by taking the extremism of Democrats and making it all about the crazy right-wingers in the House and Mar-a-Lago. To be clear, this doesn't assume malice. The Republican establishment of Washington is so obsessively committed to Ukraine that they will use every tool at their disposal to apply pressure to other Republicans to write that big Ukraine check. The problem is that every time they apply pressure, they create an opening for Democrats and the media to tank our nominee. And I'm not a fan of this stuff from J.D. Vance, by the way. This sounds like waffling nonsense as far as I'm concerned. Should we expect our senators and representatives to be calling out the uniparty? Or are we just waiting so that they can wake up the normies? We're just making excuses for them because if they weren't helping us and protecting us, who would? For months, I have been confident that Donald Trump would be reelected as president. But this is how you snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. The Republican establishment is going to war for more Ukraine money. They don't care if a second Trump term is collateral damage. But of course, they have an insurance plan, even if Trump pulls it off. Though few have noticed, buried in the bill's text is a kill switch for the next Trump presidency. 
the legislation explicitly requires funding for Ukraine well into the next presidential term. The Washington Post has already reported this provision was added to control Donald Trump. It gets worse. Back in 2019, Democrats articulated a novel theory of impeachment based on Trump's refusal to spend money from the USAI, the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative. Five years after impeaching Trump for refusing to spend money on Ukraine, they have drafted a new law that again requires Trump to spend money on Ukraine. If he negotiates an end to the war, as he has promised to do, they will undoubtedly argue that he has broken the law. We are nearly a year away from an election that could give Trump the presidency and Ukraine obsessive Republicans have already given the Democrats a predicate to impeach him. Slava Ukraini, America be damned. And he obviously says that last part sarcastically, or at least I hope he did. So J.D. Vance has laid out the process of this bill that has brought us to this point from his perspective in the Senate. Republican senators knew that they could not sell the funding of these fake foreign proxy wars to the Republican base. So they told them we're going to fix that border security problem that we've been ignoring for three years. And that's a gift just for you guys. I mean, it's not for you guys. It helps advance our agenda, but we will give that to you. We will say it's a gift to you guys. We will recognize that the border, quote unquote, is a problem. And then you all have to support this Ukraine funding package. Everybody realized they weren't actually fixing the border. They weren't going to make Joe Biden do his job. And the border security package was not a border security package at all. It just increased the security state and facilitated the global slave trade. So they said, well, fine, you don't want our gifts. We'll get rid of the gift and we'll just go forward with this Ukraine spending because we don't actually care what you want. You should be able to see that by now. But since you can't do anything about it, not being able to hold us accountable in elections, we're just going to plow ahead. And not only are we going to plow ahead to make sure that we can get this passed, what we're going to do is put provisions in this legislation that require Donald Trump to continue funding this fake foreign proxy war in Ukraine, regardless of his campaign promises, regardless of his authority as president and commander in chief. We're just going to make sure he has to keep funding it or else we're going to impeach him. J.D. Vance's memo, the headline, the Ukraine supplemental includes a hidden impeachment clause against President Trump. He writes, President Trump was wrongfully impeached by the partisan Pelosi-led House of Representatives on December 18th, 2019. At the core of the impeachment was a pause on funds appropriated to Ukraine. $391 million in security assistance, $250 million through the Department of Defense's Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative, and $141 million through the State Department's Foreign Military Financing Program. Isn't that wild that we have these specific funds set up at the DOD and the State Department, and they're just allowed to distribute that money to other countries? I wonder if they ever do that just to accomplish their own political goals right here in America or to propel the global communist regime's agenda forward in other countries. Hey, here's all this American money. Push the agenda forward. Oh, don't worry. Our indentured servants, I mean, citizens are happy to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. We told them that Putin is a very brutal dictator who 
staged an invasion and that those aren't real Nazis. And oh yeah, by the way, we also told them that paragliding go-karts flew over the most secure border in the world. And now we have to give them billions of dollars too. Vance writes in his memo, the false argument put forward by Democrats was is as follows. As President Trump had allegedly paused these funds because he wished to see the corrupt nexus between the Biden family and Ukraine investigated, President Trump had abused his power with the aim of interfering with the U.S. presidential election. Remember that part of it? He wanted Joe Biden investigated in Ukraine, so he did these quid pro quos in order to interfere with Joe Biden's ability to run for president. That was impeachment hoax number one, clown show. Page 425 of the committee report on the first impeachment states, quote, the president froze military assistance to Ukraine against U.S. national security interests and over the objections of career experts, end quote. The impeachment inquiry report states, the president did so despite the long-standing bipartisan support of Congress, uniform support across federal departments and agencies for the provision to Ukraine of the military assistance and, underlined, his obligations under the Impoundment Control Act. Now that's pretty wild, is it not? Donald Trump, as president and commander-in-chief, is responsible for setting American foreign policy. And all of those career experts and everyone in the State Department, all of those people, their job is to execute the foreign policy strategy and agenda of the president and commander in chief. And they impeached him because in their version of the federal government, the bureaucracy, the deep state, the administrative state, all serving for the express purpose of implementing the global regime's agenda they provide the guardrails to make sure that whoever's president can't mess up, quote unquote, America's foreign policy. They believe they set the foreign policy and it just extends out over time. No matter who the president is, the foreign policy remains the same. The agreements from before must be kept. They've already decided what the president can do and can't do. And if the president doesn't want to go along with that, the president can be impeached. You might quickly notice that that is a total inversion of the way it is supposed to be. Continuing with the memo, President Trump has said in regard to the war in Ukraine, we got to get that war settled and I'll get it settled. He has stated that he would resolve the war in 24 hours. The bill includes $1.6 billion for foreign military financing in Ukraine and $13.7 billion for the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative. These funds expire on September 30th, 2025, nearly a year into the possible second term of President Trump. These are the exact same accounts President Trump was impeached for pausing in December 2019. Every single House Republican voted against this impeachment resolution. If President Trump were to withdraw from or pause financial support for the war in Ukraine in order to bring the conflict to a peaceful conclusion, quote, over the objections of career experts, end quote, it would amount to the same fake violation of budget law from the first impeachment under markedly similar facts and circumstances. Partisan Democrats would seize on the opportunity to impeach him once again. 
The Washington Post has reported that tying President Trump's hands on foreign policy is very much top of mind for Biden administration officials who are openly boasting about their plans. The background quote is damning, quote, not incidentally, a U.S. official said the hope is that the long term promise, again, assuming congressional buy in, will also future proof aid for Ukraine against the possibility that former President Donald Trump wins his reelection bid. And so that is from the Washington Post article. Vance concludes the supplemental represents an attempt by the foreign policy blob slash deep state to stop President Trump from pursuing his desired policy. And if he does so anyway, to provide grounds to impeach him and undermine his administration, all Republicans should oppose its passage. So uniparty right Republicans in the Senate have joined with their uniparty left controlled opposition in the Senate to create this bill that has within it the predicate for a future President Trump's future impeachment. They want to force him to continue giving financial aid to Ukraine so they can continue to wage the global regime proxy war to protect one of their strongholds. That's what this is about. It's not about the brave Ukrainian people. It's not about Putin's very brutal invasion of regions that were already independent republics and are now just part of Russia. It's about defending one of their strongholds, one of their proxy states. So not only are they trying to tie the president's hands on foreign policy to keep funding their regime effort in Ukraine, they're also trying to make it possible to impeach him if he's not handling the Ukraine issue, this quote unquote war, as they demand. So they are actually attempting to subvert the American presidency here in two ways. This is the good guys, right? The people with the R's next to their name, the uniparty right in the Senate, and they may be joined by uniparty right members of the House. They are subverting the Constitution by trying to tie the president and commander in chief's hands when it comes to foreign policy. They are trying to make decisions themselves on matters under the president's purview and they are setting up a scenario so that they can easily impeach Donald Trump if he does not do what they say. And so now the unipartisan compromise funding bill for the fake foreign proxy wars has taken on an entirely new meaning when we see who is prepared to support this. We might as well consider this the future Donald Trump impeachment bill. So let's see which uniparty right members of the Senate and the House go along with the future Donald Trump impeachment bill. And that's not the only move to diminish Donald Trump when it comes to American foreign policy. The New York Times yesterday published this article, an outburst by Trump on NATO may push Europe to go it alone. All of the people who freak out about all of the things Donald Trump says on a regular basis are freaking out again. Trump was telling a story about how he had a conversation with one of the leaders from one of the NATO member states, and the leader asked him if the United States would be there to defend them from Russia, even if they didn't pay their bills. And Trump joked that he said, no, I would actually encourage Russia to do whatever the hell they want. He says, you didn't pay your delinquent. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. You got to pay your bills. 
And apparently this was absolutely horrifying to the Uniparty. They have been throwing just idea after idea at this. How are we going to make Donald Trump look bad for saying this? CNN even did fact checks to let us know that the NATO countries don't actually have bills. Yes, they're supposed to pay 2% of their GDP each year to their NATO defense. And they basically never do that, just relying on the United States to do everything. But they don't have bills and Trump said bills. So therefore, I guess Trump is dishonest or something. And so let's go through just a bit of this New York Times article. Long before Donald Trump threatened over the weekend that he was willing to let Russia do whatever the hell they want against NATO allies that do not contribute sufficiently to collective defense. European leaders were quietly discussing how they might prepare for a world in which America removes itself as the centerpiece of the 75-year-old alliance. And that would be quite dramatic. Even allowing for the usual bombast of one of his campaign rallies, where he made his declaration on Saturday, Mr. Trump may now force Europe's debate into a far more public phase. So far, the discussion in the European media has focused on whether the former president, if returned to office, would pull the United States out of NATO. But the larger implication of his statement is that he might invite President Vladimir Putin of Russia to pick off a NATO nation as a warning and a lesson to the 30 or so others about heeding Mr. Trump's demands. No, that is not a larger implication of his statement. That is just making up what his statement actually was. He is not inviting Russia to pick off NATO nations. He's simply making it very clear that if this NATO alliance is all about our mutual containment of the quote unquote Russia threat, that first of all, you would have to establish and is not established, then all the member nations should be mutually contributing to that defense. And if they're not doing that, they can't depend on the United States to protect them. And of course, from their perspective, if they can't depend on the United States to protect them and the United States isn't going to go along with things the way they want to do them, then why would they need the United States? From our perspective, why would we need to be part of NATO? There is not a Russian threat to the United States of America. Vladimir Putin spoke at length with Tucker Carlson in their interview and has said countless times before that he is not interested in Russian expansion. It also, frankly, just isn't our business. NATO is the responsible party for creating this situation in the first place. It's amazing how the regime always has to make it clear that jokes about their most important priorities simply will not be tolerated. So Trump can't joke about telling a European leader that if they want the United States' protection from Russia, they have to pay what they have promised to pay to NATO. And you can see within this example what the prior expectation was. The prior expectation was the United States protects all of Europe no matter what. American money, American weapons, American troops, all at the disposal of the Europeans via NATO. European nations outsourcing the defense of their countries to the United States via NATO. Back to the New York Times. His statement stunned many in Europe, especially after three years in which President Biden, attempting to restore the confidence in the alliance, lost 
during Mr. Trump's four years in office, has repeatedly said that the United States would defend every inch of NATO territory. And while a spokesman for the White House, Andrew Bates, denounced Mr. Trump's comments as unhinged, by Sunday morning, they had already resonated with those who have argued that Europe cannot depend on the United States to deter Russia. Charles Michel, the president of the European Council, which comprises Europe's heads of government and defines their common policies, wrote that reckless statements like Mr. Trump's serve only Putin's interests. He wrote that they make more urgent Europe's nascent efforts to, quote, develop its strategic autonomy and invest in its defense. All of this doubt is bound to dominate a meeting of NATO defense ministers on Thursday in Brussels and then the Munich Security Conference, an annual gathering of national security leaders on Friday. And while Vice President Kamala Harris and Secretary of State Antony Blinken will doubtless use the moment to celebrate the NATO solidarity that has been critical to keeping Ukraine an independent nation two years after Russia's invasion, any statements they make will almost certainly be met with doubts about what the alliance will look like in a year's time. So NATO solidarity, that is the major win of Joe Biden's foreign policy accomplishments as the fake administration would tell it. Sure, Afghanistan, total disaster. Different versions of World War III popping up everywhere? Yeah. The Middle East exploding? For sure. China quote unquote, threatening Taiwan. Oh, yeah. Ukraine getting absolutely dominated in every possible way, even though the United States is providing weapons, intelligence, targeting, funding and mercenaries, but also losing weapons, and losing money. It's all just laundering and black market sales. The spring summer counteroffensive was nothing. Volodymyr Zelensky, the comedic actor, just fired his commander in chief of the army and replaced him with a new one. Victoria Newland just dropped in. Tucker Carlson is now doing a limited hangout, a soft come down off the Ukraine war. And we are being told by the New York Times that NATO is the only thing standing in the breach, protecting Ukraine as a quote unquote independent nation. And that, of course, is only possible because of the hard work Joe Biden has done in maintaining the alliance. Joe Biden, the guy who doesn't know where he is most of the time. So the New York Times frets that we don't know what NATO is going to look like in a year's time. They write, in fact, that reevaluation has been underway for months. Some European diplomats and defense officials say, though they have alluded to it only obliquely in public, if at all. In a statement Sunday, Jens Stoltenberg, who is the departing secretary general of NATO, a man Donald Trump says he has a good relationship with, said, any suggestion that allies will not defend each other undermines all of our security, including that of the U.S. Is that a threat? And puts American and European soldiers at increased risk. He added, echoing statements made by NATO members in 2016, I expect that regardless of who wins the presidential election, the U.S. will remain a strong and committed NATO ally. Well, let's hope not. And I'm half kidding. I suppose there could be some purpose to maintaining this NATO alliance. I don't know what it is now. I suppose it's possible someone could make a case, but I doubt I could be sold on that. Let's skip down toward the end. 
This year, Germany will reach the goal of spending 2% of its gross domestic product on defense, the goal set for all NATO nations, years later than first promised. The commitments Europe has now made to Ukraine exceed Washington's current promises at a moment when it is unclear whether Republicans in Congress will continue to block additional support. Mr. Trump mentioned none of this in his threatening remarks on Saturday, of course. Europe stepping up to the challenge, if belatedly, does not fit his campaign narrative. So now that Europe is thinking about going it alone on NATO and actually funding NATO to defend their own countries collectively and funding their defense individually, Trump is going to lose this piece of his campaign narrative. And that totally makes sense, except for the fact that all of these same reporters and analysts were saying that Trump didn't have that argument to make in the first place before you see his campaign narrative was a lie somehow. And now his campaign narrative is just wrong because Europe is no longer doing what he was saying they were doing. Does that mean that the media's excuses before were lies? No, they were just, uh, you know, a different kind of truth. So let's close this out in the New York Times. But what will resonate in capitals around Europe will be the wording of what he described as an encounter with an unnamed president of a, quote, big country. In Trump's telling, the leader asked him, well, sir, if we don't pay and we're attacked, will you protect us? And Mr. Trump recalled saying, no, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You gotta pay. The story, which was seen as implausible in many European capitals, was 75 years into the alliance, a casting of NATO as more of a protection racket than an alliance. And whether Mr. Trump wins in November or not, the fact that such a vision of NATO has taken hold with a significant number of Americans represents a shift that is bound to affect the view of the transatlantic alliance in Europe for years to come. Now, that last part is exactly right. That view of NATO as a protection racket rather than an alliance is pretty well baked into the cake now. There's not going to be a reversal of that position. And truthfully, the only potential reversal of that position, the only way to prove that in reality would be if somehow Russia attacked us and all of these European nations rushed to our defense. But that's not going to happen. And it's certainly not going to happen under Donald Trump. And when you realize that, when you understand that the potential for reciprocity does not even exist, and you understand that the European nations haven't been paying, well, what else could it be? other than a protection racket. It's not an alliance. It's American blood and treasure protecting European nations without European nations, blood and treasure protecting America. But same as with Ukraine, we are supposed to be committed to this cause regardless. We don't have the option not to continue participating, continue supplying blood and treasure to the global regime to protect whatever their interests are in Europe and throughout the rest of the world. It doesn't matter what the American people want. That's not what our democracy is about. Our democracy means that we have to defend that global regime wherever it exists, because that's what it means to have democracy worldwide and to defend democracy throughout the world. It doesn't matter if their system is actually representative of democracy or not, it is called democracy. And if you don't choose to defend it, then you are 
attempting to tear down our democracy. And if you attempt to tear down our democracy, well, then the global regime is going to come after you. That's especially true if you're Donald Trump or one of his supporters, but it's also true if you are a Trump counterpart around the world. And toward the end of last week, we got another example of that out of Brazil. This is the New York Times from Thursday. Brazil police raid Bolsonaro and allies over attempted coup. The Brazilian federal police carried out a sweeping operation on Thursday that targeted former President Jair Bolsonaro and many of his closest advisors and former ministers as part of an investigation into efforts to overturn Brazil's 2022 election. The federal police force said that it was carrying out 33 search warrants and four arrest warrants. The agency said it would order another 15 people to hand over their passports and not leave the country and not contact any other people under investigation. Bolsonaro was a target of the operation and would hand in his passport within 24 hours, the former president's spokesman said. The raids also targeted Brazil's former defense secretary, former intelligence chief, former justice minister, and former head of the Navy, Mr. Bolsonaro's running mate, and the head of his political party. The police said the raids were part of a number of wide-ranging investigations into the former president and his allies, including into suspicions of an attempted coup, attacks on Brazil's election systems, attacks on COVID-19 vaccines, falsifying vaccination records, and stealing government funds and foreign gifts to the president. So basically, just like Donald Trump, Jair Bolsonaro is guilty of absolutely everything. For months ahead of Brazil's 2022 election, Mr. Bolsonaro sowed doubts about the security of his nation's election systems and warned that if he lost, it would be the result of fraud. When he, in fact, lost to President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, Mr. Bolsonaro declined to unequivocally concede and his supporters staged months-long protests that culminated in a January 2023 riot at Brazil's Congress, Supreme Court, and presidential offices. So Brazil had their own January 6th, two years later. And January 6th here, of course, was America's Reichstag fire. So Brazil basically had their own Reichstag fire. And despite their situation playing out two years later, what you have is almost a direct parallel to what's happening here. I say continuously, the same story, the same playbook is playing out all across the world, different locations, slightly different timelines, and then variations customized to that exact location and the political, cultural, societal situations that exist there already. So not only does Brazil have an old, corrupt politician being elected as the result of rampant and obvious fraud, they then have their own January 6th, and now, just as here, they are pursuing the quote-unquote former president, Bolsonaro, in this case. Did Trump get raided at Mar-a-Lago? Yes, and now Bolsonaro is being raided. Isn't that amazing? What are the chances that the Brazilian Donald Trump would be treated exactly like the American Donald Trump. Is this all just happening naturally? This is just the way of the world now? Of course not. It is the result of a design, of a system, of a playbook. And we should notice that 
and then understand this in parallel, follow this, study this, and figure out what it means for our own situations. Let's close out this New York Times article. Mr. Bolsonaro has already been ruled ineligible to run for office until 2030 over his attempts to undermine Brazil's voting systems. But Thursday's operation suggests that the authorities believe the former president and his allies had carried out a more coordinated effort to hold on to power after his election loss. Mr. Bolsonaro said on Thursday that he was the innocent victim of a politically motivated operation. I left the government more than a year ago and I continue to suffer relentless persecution. The former president told Fola de Sao Paulo, a Brazilian newspaper, and I hope I'm saying that right. Forget about me. There's already somebody else running the country. And he's right. It's amazing. They're going after this former president, even though he lost. And even though they've decided he can't run again until 2030, it's like they don't think they can make that stick or something. I wonder if they're concerned that Lula's illegitimacy might cause them problems down the line. I wonder if they're worried that the same thing that's happening with Donald Trump right now in America might be happening with Jair Bolsonaro down in Brazil in a couple years. Remember, their story is playing out two years after our story is. Same story, different location, two years later. So that was Thursday. This is today in Reuters. Police raids on Bolsonaro will damage his party's election hopes. Oh, how about that? Election interference. I wonder if Bill Burns, the fake president's appointed director of the CIA, who has traveled to Brazil to fortify their election back in 2022, I wonder if he has anything to do with any of this. We're going to pick up in the middle of this article. Search warrants were served on four of his former ministers, this being Bolsonaro, three of them retired army generals. That, analysts say, has dealt a serious blow to Bolsonaro's right-wing liberal party, the largest opposition party. And that liberal party, Bolsonaro's party, is represented as PL. PL President Valdemar Costa Neto was also arrested on Thursday on an unrelated gun charge and set free provisionally on Saturday. The Bolsonaro opposition has been badly hurt by this, said Andre Caesar, an analyst at Hold Assessoria Legislativa, a public policy consultancy. The PL will lose political muscle and have to rethink plans to triple its mayors in the October election. So in America, the Mar-a-Lago raid was a few months before our 2022 midterm elections. That was like August to November. This is a greater period of time, obviously. This raid coming in early February with their elections still eight months off, but it clearly is meant to interfere with the election. However, Bolsonaro's alleged involvement in a coup conspiracy could cool support from moderate center-right Brazilians who were not fans of Bolsonaro, but voted for him to oppose Lula, according to polling firm Quaest. And of course, that's exactly how they portray the uniparty right Trump voters in the United States. They say there's this part of the Republican Party who is not in support of Donald Trump, even though he has like 95% approval ratings within the Republican Party. They have to claim that there is this center right 
that is much more moderate, much more reasonable. They're not extremists. They're going to be the ones who are really, really upset by this. And they represent this really big group of people. And now it's going to be impossible for Bolsonaro's party to win. Consider the parallel in America. Did Trump supporters back off from supporting Donald Trump after the Mar-a-Lago raid or any of these ridiculous indictments? No, their support got much stronger. You're going to see the same thing down there. Any hint otherwise is a pipe dream. This is the same playbook playing out and it's going to have the same results. And finally, one last example of this effect, the same playbook playing out all across the world. We can study these nations and what's happening with their elections and their post-election periods and learn what we might find ourselves dealing with in the United States. This is an update on the Pakistan elections from the Washington Post today. The race to govern Pakistan. Who's in the running? What's the mood and what happens next? The final results of Pakistan's elections are out, but there's still no winner. Allies of imprisoned ex-Prime Minister Imran Khan won the most seats in the National Assembly, or lower house of the parliament, in last Thursday's controversial vote. It was a shock outcome given the problems his Pakistan Tariq A. Insaf PTI party faced. No campaign rallies, no polling agents on election day, and internet restrictions. They won 93 out of 265 National Assembly seats. It's not enough to form a government, however. The other two mainstream parties led by Khan's rivals also failed to secure enough seats to form a government on their own. They are the PMLN of former Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif and the PPP led by political dynasty Sion Bilawal Bhutto Zardari. They won 75 and 54 seats respectively. It's Pakistan's parliament that chooses the next prime minister, so having a majority is crucial. Not Imran Khan. He's in prison and barred from holding public office. The PTI said it doesn't want or need an alliance, claiming it has enough seats. It doesn't. The party has public support, as shown by the number of seats that candidates scooped up, but it doesn't have the backing of political peers. Now, that already sounds a little strange. We obviously can't trust the global propaganda media's reporting on this, nor their analysis, and they often use this sort of approach when they are trying to tell the standard issue villagers out there that something that can be done and can happen just simply cannot, encouraging them to believe if something does happen, it is then illegal or otherwise unfair. What does it tell you that the political party claims to be able to form a government but the global propaganda media is saying that's not possible. Is the political party just wrong? Are they making it up? Or is the media leaving something out? Analyst Azim Chaudhry said the other parties have, quote, grievances and grudges, end quote, against Khan from his time in office and that they're not ready to shake hands with him because he's made it clear he doesn't want to talk to them. Oh, that's sad. They have hurt feelings. The PMLN and PPP started coalition talks once it became clear that Khan loyalists had taken a lead. They claimed to have pacts with smaller parties and newly minted parliamentarians, including defectors from Khan's side, to bump up their seat quota to the magic majority number of 169. But knowing who could become prime minister from this ragtag crowd is trickier. They go through some 
possible scenarios for who might become next prime minister. Let's just close this out, though. People are unhappy about the way the election unfolded and how votes were counted. Legal challenges are underway to contest some results. There are protests and allegations about vote rigging, with con supporters in particular angry about what they perceive as electoral theft. So they got the most seats in the National Assembly and are still claiming election fraud and election theft. Police have used tear gas to disperse crowds and arrest dozens of people in sporadic demonstrations that have broken out across Pakistan. The international community and rights groups have expressed concerns about voting irregularities. Pakistan's president has to convene the inaugural session of the new National Assembly within 21 days of the election or February 29th. Lawmakers are sworn in during that session. They submit nomination papers for a number of key roles, including the Speaker and Leader of the House. After these positions are filled, a new prime minister is elected through a parliamentary vote, a task that requires a simple majority. So again, got to keep our eyes on this because this is incredibly interesting. Their leader, Imran Khan, was removed from the picture. He's being imprisoned. He was tried. They are using these political prosecutions and persecutions to prevent him and his party from taking office. They removed them from the ballot. They didn't let them use their party's logos. They made the election processes for their party even more difficult. Their party had to make sure that they were messaging all their supporters about exactly how to vote for them in order to get it to count, in order for them to do what they needed to do so that their voice could be expressed and be heard. And these processes may well be a preview for what we have to do as MAGA supporters in this election cycle here in America. Are America's elections better than Pakistan's? No. How could we possibly believe that? We have an illegitimate president sitting in office right now. The regime is trying everything it can to remove Trump from the ballots, to tear down his public reputation, to go after his supporters and their ability to speak online. We have not seen the end of censorship this year, my friends. They will certainly go after the election processes. They're going to try to get the RNC to keep Donald Trump from being the Republican nominee. And who knows? Maybe that'll still work. We're being told right now by the regime's Wall Street Journal that the Democrat Party can remove Joe Biden anytime between now and August. They can let the entire primary process play out. Hope the country ignores each and every one of these primaries, knowing that Joe Biden will be the nominee. And then if Biden's not the guy, they'll just replace him at the convention. And there is nothing preventing the Republican Party from doing the same except the fallout. But my point is that we even need to be prepared for that. Now, whether it's all just actually happening for real, every last ditch attempt being tried to make sure that Donald Trump can never be president again, or if we're simply watching all of these fake news stories play out so that we have an understanding of what has happened in this country, what has been done to us, what has been done in our names, and then how to react, we get to the same point either way. We need to understand all of these possibilities in order for us to react properly as quickly as possible to see what is coming before it actually hits us. We can't pretend that we are going to be protected by the Republican establishment or that Donald Trump will be protected by the Republican establishment. It is just the uniparty right. They are only there to serve the uniparty. They are more than happy 
to trick you in any way necessary so you'll continue to believe that they are on your side. The entire time they are working in direct opposition. And if they're not going to protect us, well, then we have to figure out how to protect ourselves. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. 
It's hell!